Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going through Ecclesiastes. And we, we've gone all the way through chapter 6, and we did that in last week's afternoon program. Uh, chapter 6 is pretty short. Uh, but uh, in going through chapter 7 and putting together notes for chapter 7, one of the things that... Uh, I came across is the fact that we probably ought to go do Jeremiah too. <laughs> and so I've started putting together notes on Jeremiah so that we can follow through. Jeremiah said the same thing all the minor prophets said. He just took longer to say it. And uh, so it's a lot longer book. But uh, maybe when we're going through it, we're going to see... You know, because he actually goes through it in sections. And outlining Jeremiah is kind of important. Jeremiah is this lonely prophet. Supposedly he didn't get a wife. Uh, but that may not be what they mean when they said that he didn't get a wife. Uh, because when we're reading in Ecclesiastes, when we get down near the end of chapter 7, we're going to see talk of a woman, a strange woman, that is a snare and a trap. So how is this woman a snare and a trap? And of course, so many things in the Bible are symbolic of other things. I mean, we talk about the bride of Christ, that supposedly the church is the bride of Christ, but the church is mostly men. (laughs) It's not mostly women, as far as... If you look out there what people are holding up as the church, the ministers of the church. Uh, Somebody sent me something uh, looking at the Universal Life Church. And uh, you can get ordained in the Universal Life Church. Uh, It's really easy to get ordained. Uh, Conan O'Brien's been uh, ordained there. Lady Gaga has been ordained there. Stephen Colbert has been ordained there. Richard Branson has been ordained there. You get a really nice, um, you know, little piece of paper that say, says you're an ordained minister. And then you get access to their teachings and all that stuff. But of course, they're not teaching Christ. Oh, they, they talk about teaching Christ, but they're not really teaching what Christ taught. You know, there's, it tells you in the Bible, there's going to be all kinds of Christ. Well, there's not really all kinds of, people calling themselves Christ as a lot of people call themselves Jesus but uh, Christ is not a real popular name Uh, but uh, what it is is a lot of different images of Christ that are created in the 40,000 different denominations of Christianity but all those images of Christ are not really Christ and the way you can tell is are they teaching everything that Christ taught Because, in fact, they do not teach everything that Christ taught. And that's really easy to say by and to see even if you want to see it. And that's another thing that comes up in Ecclesiastes 7 is that there's a lot of things to see 
But it's sometimes difficult to see if those things are far off. That they have, you have to get closer to those things to see those things. And how do you get closer to God? And, well, how do you draw near God? Well, there's word in the Hebrew that means to draw near. And from that word, they got another word, which is Corbin. And Corbin is a word that we see in the New Testament. They don't translate it all the time. As a matter of fact, they really don't translate it properly any time <laughs> in the New Testament. Uh, it appears twice in the New Testament. And once they just say Corbin, and the other time they say treasury. So the Corbin, the Corbin is a treasury. So why is the, the treasury of the Pharisees making the word of God to none effect? This is, this is a peculiar idea that we should all understand and grasp if we're going to understand and grasp Christ. Because Christ said that the Corban of the Pharisees is making the word of God to none effect. So what? how is this the treasury of the Pharisees making the word of God to none effect? Well, anyway, let's, let's take a quick look at that word Corban because it actually comes up. The, the Corban of Saul was foolish because of the way in which he collected the Corban of Saul. Saul forced a sacrifice. And that word sacrifice, that's what Corban means. Corban means sacrifice. And so that when Saul forced a sacrifice, he was told by Samuel, he had done a foolish thing. And because he did this foolish thing, his kingdom would not stand. He would lose his kingship. Because he had forced a sacrifice. Now he forced a sacrifice for a good cause. Now in Ecclesiastes they talk about foolish things. Uh, they even talk about the house of mirth. And, and they talk about the house of mourning. And the heart of the fools. And, and when we finally get down and we're talking about, and I find more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is a snare and nets. So why is, why is he all of a sudden just out of the blue? He's talking about wisdom. He's talking about wickedness. He's talking about folly. He's talking about foolishness. He's talking about madness. And then all of a sudden he's talking about a woman whose heart is snares and nets. Well, if we go to Jeremiah and we read the whole of Jeremiah, we might get it. But it might still be far off and we won't see it. And so anyway, I, I've just started putting the notes together in Jeremiah. I've been adding to it over the years as we do other studies. But... Uh, uh, you know, like I said, Jeremiah, you know, he's the second major prophet. And if you're counting major by, I, you know, I don't know how you're metering that or how they meter that, but it may be because of the amount of stuff that he wrote. 
But like I said, he's really just saying the same thing that Amos said and and uh, Micah said and and of course what Moses said. But uh, he's just taking a little bit longer to say it. But in taking longer, Jeremiah takes little pieces from all over the biblical text, from Moses, etc. I mean, he talks about the bondage of Egypt. He talks about Baal. He talks about Babylon all the time. Of course, supposedly, we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But Babylon is not just a location. It's an idea. He talks about idolatry. And, of course, we know that idolatry is covetousness. And covetousness is idolatry. Uh, idolatry. So was Israel becoming covetous? Is that why they ended up with false religion? And, and did that happen because the priests and pastors, they, that's actually what they say, the priests and pastors in Israel rebelled against God. And how did they rebel against God? Well, with the teachings of Baal. And, and they even mentioned Balaam. The heir of Balaam. Well, the heir of Balaam, we know, is the heir of the Nicolaitans. So what's the heir of the Nicolaitans? Uh, somebody named Nicholas, supposedly, according to somebody. But the meaning of the word Nicolaitan is in the word Nicolaitan, which is identical with the meaning of the word Balaam. Balaam means conquered people. Nicolaitan means conquered people. And the error of Balaam was the error of the Nicolaitan. And that was the error in Israel, in Judah, in the kingdom of Judah, at the time of Jeremiah. That they had this error of Baal. And that error of Baal was that they could force the contributions of the people through the men who exercised authority, one over the other. And Jesus said we were not to be that way. But of course, somehow or other, the Pharisees, with the help of Herod, started a new system to take care of the needy of society through forced contributions. You signed up and then you had to pay in. And they thought, well, this is a really good thing. But they were actually forming the bands of the bondage of Egypt. But they didn't know that. But they had the Torah right there. Didn't they know that they weren't to covet their neighbor's goods? And if you sign up in a big group, you know, like, you know, 100,000 people in Jerusalem, sign up for a system of sacrifice, Corbin, where you pay in to the treasury, Corbin, and then there's money in the treasury so that if you, if your parents have need when they're older, they can just go to the synagogue and they will get a portion of the funds that are in the treasury. But that way makes the word of God to none effect because it causes the sons and the daughters and the children of the parents to do no more ought for their parents. And this is this is one of the major things that Jesus had against the Pharisees. But the Pharisees couldn't see it. 
I mean, John the Baptist was saying it right out of the box, day one. John the Baptist was saying, hey, if you have two coats and this guy's grandparents don't have a coat, then you share your coat with this guy's grandparents or parents. And do the same in me if they're hungry. So that, that was, that's the gospel of John the Baptist. In order to get into John the Baptist system of social welfare through charity, you had to get baptized by John the Baptist. Which is not a new thing. They don't explain a lot about the baptism. I mean, he was down by the Jordan River and he was baptizing these people. But historically, all the modern theologians know there was a laver over there at the temple. You didn't have to go all the way to the Jordan River. You you could have just gone to the laver at the temple. The people were getting baptized in that every day. It was a rabbinical baptism. As a matter of fact, in order to join the system set up by Herod and the Pharisees, you had to get baptized wherever you were. Because at that moment of baptism, some scribe was there who was going to write down your name and strike a line underneath it. So that that he would know that you're now a member of the system and you're going to have to pay in to the Corbin. Your sacrifice is what you pay into the Corbin. It goes into a treasury. Jesus didn't seem to be very impressed with treasuries. As a matter of fact, he, he said something about not storing up your wealth in treasuries where thieves and robbers could break it, where moths could eat it up. You know, we started the program, what, just uh, 15 some minutes ago, we started the program. If you've got any money in the bank, if if you've been paying into Social Security or uh, national insurance or, uh, uh, you know, all these different systems, Canada's got one, uh, SIN in Canada. I can't remember what that stands for, but it has to do with national insurance. But if you, you've been paying into that and you have, you think you have a certain amount of money in that treasury of the government for when you retire, it's less in there now than it was at the beginning of the program. <laughs> and that's because Moths are eating it up as we speak. And, and if you want to know what the sound of a moth is chewing on your savings, it's the sound of a printing press. <laughs> it sounds just like a printing press when the moths are chewing on your savings. It sounds like somebody's running a printing press. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So... I'm being sarcastic here. Maybe even a little bit facetious. But I'm trying to relate these ancient books of Jeremiah and Ecclesiastes to what's going on in your life right now. Yeah, you know, just last night before the program, 
somebody was talking, they're t- talking dirty about capitalism. Capitalism is a bad thing, and they were quoting uh, Ezra Pound, and uh, they, they sent a four-part expose on Ezra Pound. And Ezra Pound had a lot of good things to say, and he was saying them back in 1933. But that was about 20 years after the end of capitalism in America. (laughs) I mean, capitalism wasn't quite dead yet in America by 1933. But in 1933, somebody drove a stake through the heart of capitalism. Not that capitalism... I don't want to equate capitalism with vampires, but... uh, uh, capitalism could be like vampires. Actually, we could equate capitalism at that time in America with vampires. Now, how would you do that? Vampires are blood-sucking uh, creatures of the darkness. How would we equate capitalism with vampires? That's because capitalism doesn't have a heart. You know, it's kind of like the straw man and the and the tin man and the cowardly lion. You know, the tin man didn't have a heart. And so that's kind of, you know, there's a lot of symbolism in that story. We won't go into the details of that. But capitalism is just an economic system that supports the idea of individuals owning what they produce. How do, how do you own what you produce? And do you really produce anything simply yourself? I mean, like if, if you make a statue out of gold, or say you make a, make a gold coin, where, where'd you get the gold? What well, was in this three tons of dirt? And I sifted through the dirt took me a couple of days to sift through the dirt. And I sifted through the dirt and eventually I found little gold nuggets by, you know, swooshing water around. And eventually I found these little gold nuggets, little tiny specks and put them all together. And I had a whole ounce of gold sifting through a couple tons of dirt. And now I took that gold and I melted it down. Well, how'd you melt it down? Well, I got a really hot fire going. Well, how'd you get a hot fire? I had to go get some wood that was just laying around and I piled it up and I, I made a little furnace and I, I heated the, 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 the little gold dust up and in my little iron crucible and then I poured out a coin and then I, I stamped a little design in the coin. And so now I got this little coin. Who owns it? Well, God owns the earth, so God owns the gold. But you changed it. You gathered it. You hunted and gathered it. You, you, you now have it in a little place, and then you melted it down. You, you transformed it a little bit with your sweat and your toil. And then you put a design on it. And if you're real good at that design, maybe somebody will want to buy it for more than the value of the gold just because you made a really pretty design on it. And they liked it. They Maybe it was a picture that looked like their mother and they wanted it as a keepsake. So now they're, you know, a regular ounce of gold is going to go for over $2,000, I think now, probably more than $2,000. But if it looks like the guy's mom, he might pay you $3,000 for it. 
And he's only going to do that because of all the sweat that you put into it. While you were sweating, your heart was beating and blood was flowing and your life was pouring out as that sweat dripped off the tip of your nose. And so that coin, you're in that coin. Your sweat, your toil, you're the means of production. So you you still don't own the gold. God owns the gold because God made the planet. But you own the coin because God gave you your life. He says, do what you want with it. Just like Jesus with the little story about the denarii, where he gives you know one denarii, two denarii, three denarii, go. <laughs> and they went went out. One guy. One increased the denarii. And the, the, the other one increased it, but not quite as much. And the third one buried it. He didn't do anything with it. He put it back in the ground. <laughs> so, but Jesus wasn't pleased with that guy, according to the story. He didn't do anything with the gift that God gave him. And this is going to be important in Ecclesiastes. Because we've already seen where a rich man... Who's given all these gifts, you know, he's given all this wealth and all this kind of stuff. And he just keeps it for himself. That's a bad thing. Uh, and, and that's what the guy did with the, the gold. He, he buried it. He just, he knew where he buried it. He was going to go dig it up again. Yeah, I still got it. I still got it. Didn't do anything with it, but I still got it. Well, Jesus said, you're better off you loan that out at interest than to do nothing with what you got. Now, he wasn't advising everybody to get into banking. But he was saying that what God gives you, the gifts God gives you, you need to use them. to, And you can use them to increase. See, capitalism doesn't require that you're greedy. Capitalism doesn't require that you want a profit. Maybe capitalism just requires that you are fruitful with what you're given. So how do you be fruitful with what you're given? Well, you certainly don't rebel against God. That wouldn't be a good idea. You don't do the error of the Nicolaitan and the error of Balaam. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't get into idolatry, which is covetousness, where you desire you know, the coin of your neighbor or the sweat or toil of your neighbor for your benefit. You wouldn't do any of those things. But that's what was going on in Jeremiah's time. The priest and the pastor says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. And, and they set up a system that was a snare. And he talks about it. And that they, they were going to go back into captivity because of the error of Balaam. And the pollution in the Ecclesiastes talks about not being polluted as well. But anyway, we'll address all that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're in Ecclesiastes 7. So, we've made it to the halfway mark. But I have a uh, a synopsis up there of the first six chapters and uh, it starts off kind of slow and probably one of the important things is you know that uh, 
man is made of the same dust that you were when he was filtering out to find his gold coin he was going through two tons of dirt well you were probably made of a lot more than two tons of dirt because of all the food that your parents ate while you were in the womb <laughs> and uh, and the food that they fed you while you were growing up and, and, and we're talking tons I once calculated how much money it cost me to raise my six kids and I, we raised pretty frugal. We had huge gardens and we produced our own meat and all that stuff. But still, the, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars went into raising these kids up. And so then you just let them go. <laughs> so, so God, but that's what God did. That he, he made the whole planet. He put a couple of people on it and he said, okay, have at it. It's yours. He gave them the power of choice over it. Now he's, he put a couple of trees in the garden there. And he said, uh, now there's this tree of knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't an apple tree. It wasn't a pear tree. <laughs> it wasn't an orange tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, don't use that. A trees were sources. He says, don't use that tree as a source. To determine what good and evil is. You have to go over there and use the tree of life. You could eat of that tree. And the tree of life will tell you what is good and what is evil. You don't get to decide. The tree of life will reveal it to you through what I have referred to as the divine spark. But in order to get the divine spark you got to make sure the gap is not too far away <laughs> or you won't get a spark so you got to get close you got to get that so you can get that divine spark of revelation so you'll see the truth and so i've been fasting for a couple of days to help you see the truth i've been sacrificing eating <laughs> it wasn't a big deal but uh you may have to do a little sacrificing. You know who didn't do sacrificing? The foolish virgins. The story of the foolish virgins. I probably ought to put a link to the foolish virgin story in there. Because it starts off in Ecclesiastes. A good name is better than a precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, at the end of this chapter, he's going to mention death. Remember when we're talking about that woman? And I find more bitter than death, the woman. He's saying that this precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. So, actually, these, these ideas, he's juggling all these ideas right from the beginning of this chapter. And actually, we can go back to chapter uh, 5, where he talks about the sacrifice of fools. And the sacrifice of fools, the Corban of fools, is the snare that we find in the heart of the woman. Because that sacrifice of fools is what... Uh, puts the benefits on the table of the social safety net of your society. 
We've talked about the, the goddesses of the pagan temples, the goddesses of the heathens, the goddesses of the idolaters have a temple that is to provide social welfare. Go look up the word goddess at preparing you. Go look up the turtle dove goddess. Those systems of social welfare are a snare and a trap. David said that. Paul quoted David saying their table is a snare and a trap. Paul says covetousness is idolatry. You see, if you desire the benefits at the tables of the goddess of the turtle dove or Ishtar or FDR, (laughs) if you desire at those tables, that's a snare. That, That same table is set with all these dainties, which Proverbs tells us is a snare and a trap. These dainties of rulers. And they're called dainties of rulers because they force the sacrifice to the people, which we saw Saul do. And he lost his kingdom. And all the people went into bondage, which is what Jeremiah is going to be dealing with. But that sacrifice was a sacrifice of fools. But, I mean, they had to sacrifice. When the king says you got to sacrifice, you got to sacrifice. Why do you have a king? Because you were foolish. Even though Samuel said, you know, if you decide to have a king, president or prime minister or whatever, who can exercise authority one over the other, to fight your battles, to be your imperator, he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take. They, it tells you that in the Bible. But everybody thinks that's okay now. And guess what? He takes and takes and takes and takes. We're going to go back to Exodus again when we revisit Jordan Peterson. But right away, in the very first episode, Jordan is talking about this new pharaoh that rose up in Egypt that did not know Joseph. And he wanted to enslave the people. He said it that in front of a room full of scholars. And nobody really pointed it out. Not so you would notice it. But they were slaves back in Genesis. They just had a master who wasn't quite as totalitarian. But they had to give... 20% of their labor in a Corby system of statutory bondage back in Genesis, one-fifth. That was forced. Now, how he forced it, maybe, you know, it was understood, it was kind of voluntary, but then along comes this new pharaoh. He's going to take the same bondage but he's going to make them serve with rigor. And in order to do that, he hires a bunch of taskmasters to make sure that everybody gives their fair share. And he, and he fiddles around somehow with the uh, the crafts of state. 
So the burden of taxation, even though it was only 20%, was still 20%. When I was a boy in Egypt, it was 20% of your labor. When I was a boy, but I wasn't in Egypt, but when I was a boy in Egypt, income tax was 20%. Of it, whether you made a million dollars or... Uh, now, there were probably other taxes floating around that weren't taxes on labor. But basically, their income tax was 20% across the board. It's kind of a flat tax. And I, I assume they had exceptions for the really poor. But that was still a lot thousands of years later. One-fifth. Because, but everybody... You have to note, everybody was still in the bondage of Egypt. But I knew a Jewish fellow who lived in Egypt back then, when I was a boy. He had to move from Egypt because there was a guy, uh, before Mubarak, and I can't remember, Nehru, that's his name. I remember because the Nehru jacket, he always wore this certain jacket that became known as the Nehru jacket. (laughs) And... uh, he suddenly said, all Jews had to get out of town. And you can't take your stuff with you. See, because they were getting the Jews out of Egypt, but uh, Moses wasn't setting it up. So, you know, when Moses set it up, when they said, okay, all you Jews have to get out of Egypt, they got to take their stuff with them. <laughs> they got to take their gold and silver with them, but... Nehru didn't let him take, and so this guy lost everything he had. He had a big business, he had a big house, uh, and he lost it all. And he moved to Canada. And uh, he, I, when I was talking to him, I was in Canada, and I was talking to him, and uh, uh, he was he was explaining how this all worked. That they took everything. They they drained his bank accounts, everything. And they just took over. And they and he had to just get on a boat. He got on with his family and that was it. They just left everything behind and they showed up in Canada with zero. Zilch. He was doing all right. He's now working for the government. That's why I was talking to him. But uh, guess what? I sure hope... Of course, now he's probably passed away. He was, he was a lot older than me then. And I was just... Uh, I hadn't quite turned 18 when I was talking to him. I was thinking about immigrating to Canada. And uh, actually, I was even thinking about immigrating to Norway. It was right during the Vietnam War draft. But I didn't. But I, it was, it was, this guy was put in my path to explain something to me. And I was just thinking that if his sons are still living in Canada or his grandsons or maybe even his great-grandsons are living in Canada, I sure hope they did not support the truckers. Because if they sent $20 to the trucker, they could have got their bank accounts frozen. <laughs> By that little Nehru guy there in uh, in Parliament that you evidently can't say bad words about, according to Jordan Peterson. He Jordan Peterson calls them all kinds of names, but but you know what goes around comes around. So this totalitarianism, it's the potential for doing it is already here because everybody in Canada is back in the bondage of Egypt. And the fact is, everybody in the United States, everybody in Australia, everybody in England, somebody was pointing out that if 
there were like 400 arrests in the Soviet Union for what you said online. People are actually arrested for what they said online. And uh, a guy was pointing that out to uh, somebody in England. And uh, they thought, wow, that... He says, so, but we don't live in that kind of totalitarian regime like Putin has. So, how many people do you think were arrested in England last year? He says. I think the number was, it's hard to imagine. It was either 1,300, but I think it was like 3,000. But it was 1,300 people were arrested. That, that's, that's good enough for me. 1,300 people in England were arrested and dragged into court. Fined. Had money taken away from them for something they said online. <laughs> it's worse in England than it is in the Soviet Union. It's, it's not, I mean, there are other factors, but the reality is that spirit that is in the woman whose heart is a snare and a net is in all your leaders out there. And it's actually in all your priests and pastors. Because they all think it's okay to take away your sweat and blood to fill their treasuries and to provide benefits to your neighbor. See, John the Baptist was saying, love your neighbor. But they're saying, no, covet your neighbor's goods. Because your neighbor really should give in So we're just going to make it. We're going to go to men who exercise authority one over the other and and call themselves benefactors. But we're going to force the contributions of your neighbors so that we'll have enough stuff to give you. By the way, all the stuff that you paid into Social Security over the last 20, 30, 40 years, it's all gone. It, it was actually gone before you started paying it in. But that's another story. Go look up our article on Social Security. So he says, a good name is better than a precious ointment. And from that, I talked about the foolish virgin who had what? Oil in their lamps. But they ran out of oil while they were dancing and having a good time. They ran out of oil. And then all the other virgins went in to the wedding party and the door was shut and locked. Now what is that symbolic of? See a virgin is someone who doesn't belong to the Parthenos. Parthenos has the Parth had to do with virgins and it also had to do with social welfare and also had to do with that woman that was a snare and a trap. But if you weren't a member of that system, then you might call yourself a virgin. But if you're just dancing around, having a good time, and not doing what Ecclesiastes, a teacher of Ecclesiastes, is going to tell you you have to do, then you may run out of oil and not be able to get into the wedding feast. And when you knock on the door, they may not open the door up. And... The day of death, then the day of one's birth, may be better. Because <laughs> you've wasted vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Emptiness of emptiness, all is empty. Because 
your good name has been smirched. Now, what do they mean by good name? Now, when we say your good name, you, that's that's what people think of me. But I have a link there to our article on name. Name has to do with your characteristics. Because it used to be, you know, I won't go into all the details, but it used to be that people would tell the story of of this Indian or that Indian or this this Celtic guy or that Celtic guy, you know, like Beowulf. He had certain characteristics. He was a big guy. So they called him the Beowulf because a Beowulf is a bear because bears eat honey. They'll go into a honey hive and so they'll be calling him a Beowulf. <laughs> so, but he was a big guy like a bear so he got the name Beowulf because he's this Bear of a guy. Because the name is your characteristics. So good characteristics is better than the precious ointment. And what are the good characteristics? What's the good characteristics of Christ? Well, we'll get to that. Verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. I'll read on to three. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better. So what's he talking about? So, sacrifice of fools. The house of feasting. How is the house of feasting? How is that feasting brought about? Is it brought about by the sacrifice of fools or is it something better? We saw in chapter 6 that a man can covet his own riches if he produces riches just for himself. He only wants profit. And that was the definition somebody gave of capitalism is that you control the, the individual controls the means of production and the goal is profit. It's nothing about a goal of profit in capitalism. Capitalism just means what you produce is yours. Your blood is now part of that golden coin that you produced. And so therefore you have a possessory right to that golden coin. You have a property right to that golden coin. That's capitalism. Doesn't have anything to do with, you know, social politics. It doesn't have anything to do with morality. Doesn't have anything to do with, you know, your moral character. It means, it means you produced it. It, you have a right in it. If you produced it with a couple other guys, now you have a mutual right in it. That's all it means. If there's going to be morality in your capitalism, you got to bring that yourself. If you bring greed to your capitalism like the rich man who produces just for himself, now the goal of his capitalism is profit. But this guy over here, he may be producing value so they can feed his kids. That's not for profit. That's to give to somebody. He may be doing it so that he can give half his wealth away to the poor. And he's a capitalist. What the heck? What's going on here? I thought you wanted profit. Well, that depends on what you want. You have the choice in capitalism. 
And that's what God is all about. God was going to give you choice. I'm going to put this tree here. I'm going to put all these animals over here. I'm going to put the fish in the river and the in the lake and everything. My One of my sons is just, I don't know where he got it from. He didn't get it from me. Avid fisherman. He loves to go fishing. That He works all the time, but when he's not working, he's fishing. <laughs> but he has a shirt that says catch and release on it. He doesn't want to eat the fish. He just wants to catch it. And then he lets it go. <laughs> He's not fishing for profit. <laughs> He's fishing for fun. And some people make money for fun. And they they have no problem with letting it go. I mean, there are guys who are so wealthy, it's just ridiculous. They will actually buy a crime scene. <laughs> Elon Musk buying Twitter. He, he, now, he'll probably make more money on the deal. But, you know, he's not putting all the money away and stashing away. He evidently doesn't even own a house now. He's, at least a couple of months ago, he was moving around from place to place. He didn't own, he didn't have any particular residence. You know, who knows what that guy's up to. But anyway, a good name is better than a precious ointment because the name is the identifying characteristics of the individual. And what is your characteristic that of a generous person? Well, in verse 2, we saw the this house of mourning was better than the house of feasting. And this idea of house of mourning, house of feasting, where else is that mentioned? It's mentioned in Jeremiah 16.5 and 16.8, where they talk about this house of mourning and this house of feasting. And I have the... You know, the Jeremiah uh, 16.5. For thus saith the Lord, enter not into the house of mourning, neither go to lament nor bemoan them, for I have taken away my peace from this people, saith the Lord, even loving kindness and mercies. So why did he do that? Why is he taking away... These things. And why not go? I thought Ecclesiastes is saying it's better. The house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. Well, he doesn't say a lot of good things about the house of feasting either. To sit with them to eat and drink. Uh, why? Because they had set up systems through their priests and pastors that were based on the heir of Balaam and Baal, and the Nicolaitans, and the Corbin of the Pharisees, and the forced offerings of Saul, and the forced offerings of Herod, and the forced offerings of Pharaoh, and the forced offerings of Nimrod, and the forced offerings of the turtle goddess of Sumer. They had set up systems of legal charity. And legal charity is not the house you want to go into. He doesn't want you to go eat, you know, I'm broke. I, I don't have anything. Uh, I, I don't have a job. I'm hungry. I'm living on the street. I want, want to go down and get me a welfare check at the house of mourning. Because things have gone badly for me. He says, no, don't go. Because... That house of mourning is legal charity. That's what he's talking about. Lo and behold, wow, 
A lot of people didn't catch that when they read this the first time. The guys who go and read the Bible every year, they read this. They go, house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. The heart of the fool. There's that fool again. Foolish. When Saul forced the sacrifice, he was called foolish. When Ecclesiastes is talking about the sacrifice of fools, is he talking about the foolish sacrifice that was taken up by Saul? Is he talking about the the foolishness at the time of Jeremiah, where they set up a system of legal charity, which is foolishness? Why is it foolishness? Because it's idolatry. Why is it idolatry? Because it's covetous. It's forced offerings. It's by men who exercise authority one over the other. And Jesus said three times, it is not to be that way with you. Well, he said it once, but it's recorded three times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because the dainties offered at those tables where men exercise authority is a snare and a trap. Which Ecclesiastes is going to talk about in verse 26, if we ever get there. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And what they've done is they've turned the house of mourning into a house of mirth for all those people on welfare. We'll talk more about this and what I heard on the news just before the program when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief brief break. So be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, how do you turn the house of mourning into the house of mirth? Well, social welfare will do it. (laughs) I guess... Uh, the house of mourning, the house of this difficulty where you go. Uh, but uh, it, uh, you know, bad things happen, but you turn it into uh, kind of a party. But uh, I, I said, I, I heard something on the news just before we did the program, and that they're talking in San Francisco about reparations. And they're going to give millions and millions and millions of dollars to black people in reparations. Now, I don't know where Angela Davis lives now, but she might live in San Francisco. I think she lives in California, but I'm not sure. But Angela Davis, somebody did her family tree and found out that Angela Davis, grandparents, great-grandparents, somewhere up the line, were slaveholders. They were slave owners. And so she shouldn't get any reparations, but she's black. And she's fighting for reparations for all black people. But she's a descendant of slave owners. Me, I'm not a descendant of slave owners, but I'm supposed to pay in reparations. As a matter of fact, my great-great-grandfather was smuggling slaves in the Underground Railroad and got kicked out of church for doing it. (laughs) He became a... He was a Quaker. He became a schism Quaker because he was helping slaves escape in the Underground Railroad. And they still want to charge me (laughs) reparations. No, it's crazy. And I have said it time and time again. And I hear these people talk about reparations. 
and they got smiles on their face and they're all happy yelling we're going to get reparations we're going to get thousands of dollars per person it's great but that's a nail in your coffin you know because of uh, Ecclesiastes 26 and I find more bitter than death the woman who gives me reparations <laughs> doesn't say it says the heart is a snare and a net and those reparations are a snare and a net but the people don't even see it and people are saying you know they make all kinds of statements I won't even repeat them they're so foolish so foolish so covetous so vain but they don't see it and, and many of you might out there hopefully a lot of you are beginning to see what I'm talking about that this is what's destroying it destroyed the black community welfare through the state the legal charity of FDR and LBJ especially LBJ destroyed the black community absolutely destroyed the black family not every black person because some people chose not to take welfare. Some people chose to work. You know, like uh, uh, Larry Elder. His dad was a worker. And, and Larry got his work ethic from his dad. In ways that he probably never understood. And... He thinks all this reparation stuff is nonsense and destructive. He sees that the black community is destroyed by welfare. And reparations just generational welfare. It will destroy them. Because it's foolish. So, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Because reparations is the song of fools. Legal charity, welfare, Medicare, Medicaid, song of fools. It's not the song of Moses because it's calling for the sacrifice of fools. For as the crackling of horns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Now, the crackling of horns, I really should do a study on that. Excuse me, it's cr- the crackling of thorns under the pot. I actually said horns twice. Uh, the crackling of thorns under a pot. Well, that is like what's heating up. You know, you're, you're burn, you know, if you're burning, uh, we have a, a wood out here called greasewood. It's a bush. And when you burn it, it burns very hot. And you hear a lot of crackles. It's the oils in, in the, and a lot of times they're in the thorns. If you get, there's thorns on the bush and they poke you, they get very sore. Uh, the sheep love to eat on it, but they, they can nibble around the thorns because they're, they're more nibblers when they browse. The cattle, if they eat it, they can end up with bloody intestines because they will they take too big a bite and they will take in some of those thorns and it will cause there's oils in those thorns that uh, will cause all kinds of irritation mostly the cows leave it alone they won't if your if your cows are starving though they'll eat on that 
greasewood. But uh, when it burns, it crackles and pops because it's popping the gases in the, the deal. But he's saying for the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. They don't know that asking for reparations is destroying what's left of their community. It's destroying their name. It's destroying their character. So how do you build it back up? Well, we do it through the the ways of Christ. And it's amazing how many people who think they're Christians are advocating reparations instead of advocating what Christ said was to lay down your life for your fellow man, to sacrifice. No, they want to take life from their fellow man and profit from it. That is the laughter of fools. That is the song of fools. And it it is bad as the rich man who is greedy for gain and profit. The greedy for gain that we see in Proverbs, let's all have one purse. Consent not with those sinners. So don't you consent to reparations. Verse 7, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad. Oppression maketh a wise man mad. That means like crazy. And a gift destroyeth the heart. How does the gift destroyeth the heart? Well, that that should be really self-evident uh, for anybody out there that uh, knows what... Well, at least those people who listen to us on a regular basis. I don't know about everybody else. But... Uh, you know, Plutarch, who ruined Rome? He asked the question, who ruined Rome? That was one of the first questions he asked early on. Uh, that the man who first ruined the Roman people, t'was he who first gave them treats and gratuities. But this mischief crept secretly and gradually in and did not openly make its appearance in Rome for a considerable time, but it did with Julius Caesar. And then eventually he writes, the real destroyers of liberty of the people is he who spreads amongst them bounties, donations, and benefits. And where do you get those benefits? On the table that should have been for your welfare, but is a snare. And it's a table by a woman who rides the beast. (laughs) Well, pretty close. That's pretty close to what we're talking about. But if we don't understand these principles, that the table that should have been for your welfare that is a snare is set and filled up with dainties through oppression. And, and this will make the wise man mad and get, the gift destroyeth the heart. There you go. Better is the end of a thing that the beginning thereof and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So th- this is a, something that has become so pervasive since you know I could see it as I was growing up. And it's it's people living in debt. Debt. The patient in spirit 
aren't probably living in debt. You know, I, I couldn't believe I knew somebody who was sitting in their apartment. They had to pay rent to be in their apartment. And they were sitting on a couch that they owed money on. Watching a TV that they owed money on. <laughs> and going to work in a car they owed money on. And they didn't even owe money on the apartment because they were renting that. So they weren't even building up any kind of capital. Uh, and I thought, like, I couldn't, I wouldn't be comfortable sitting on a couch that I didn't own watching. I would rather get a couch from the Goodwill or, you know, people are always throwing away furniture because we live in such an affluent nation. Somebody's going to move. It's cheaper. I'll just get rid of this furniture and I'll go and. I'll, I'll buy new furniture where I go. Well, we used to do that occasionally. We didn't we didn't move with all the furniture, but we just got the new furniture down at the Goodwill or the thrift store. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we haven't moved for a long time. But yeah, so the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. We actually, I remember a lady in Wisconsin, real nice lady, hardworking lady. And she was going to have a baby, and, and we had already had a baby, and all our, our, that she was having a boy, and we had, and so we had all these outfits, you know, people give you all these outfits for the boy, and, and like he wore them for a day. I mean, some of the things I don't think he ever even got around to wearing. And he grows out of them so fast. I mean, he was eating meat by the time he was like three months old. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so we gave him, this, uh, gave her a bunch of the really nice stuff, and because uh, I knew her from work, and and uh, she brought them back, and she said her husband won't let her keep them. She said they were beautiful, and she thought they were great, and she says, "My son's not going to wear any hand-me-downs." But there was a guy who was driving a truck he did not own. <laughs> so the proud in spirit didn't get those really nice outfits. Somebody else did. But uh, anyway, verse 9. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. So, okay. So, now, we just went through several. And we haven't looked at our notes over there on the side. But we'll kind of go along watching those notes. So, the song of fools is not the song of the Lamb. It's not the song of Moses. Um, is life for feasting or for sharing? Because the house of mourning is for sharing. You know, where people have need, they go to, yeah, I have a need, I, I don't have enough, I, I'm hungry, uh, you know, I broke my leg and I couldn't go to work, but it's getting better now, but I, I'm, I'm finding myself a little short, Can I, so I go to the house of mourning. Now, you're not to go to the house of mourning in Jeremiah and eat and drink in the house of mourning in Jeremiah. Because the house of mourning is filled with legal charity. Because the priests and pastors of Jeremiah's time knew that religion was how you take care of the needy of society through the house of mourning. But they didn't understand that pure religion, you do it without the men who exercise authority one over the other. You do it without the world and it, like we see in James where he says pure religion is taking care of the needy the, the widows and orphans of your society 
unspotted by the world. And he uses a word there that means constitutional order and system of government. Because the constitutional order and system of government of Herod, the constitutional order and system of government of Pontius Pilate, the constitutional order and system of government of Caesar, all said it was okay to force the contributions of one group of people to take care of the needy of another group. Jesus said it was not okay, it was not to be that way with you, but what do we care about what Jesus says? You know, you go to your Christian churches and you mention this and they're saying, well, no, 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 we don't have to do that. Jesus said that. We weren't to be that way, but you guys are all that way. You have need of repentance. You have need of repentance. So, can you hear that? In America, when America was great and did away with slavery... And, and most of it was free states. And even in the free states, you could, people were, were were allowing uh, slaves to escape when they were brutalized. They were allowed to escape. A lot of slaves didn't want to escape. They had it pretty good. They liked it as slaves because they were taken care of. They had, hey, guaranteed income, guaranteed health care, guaranteed housing. They don't mind being a slave if you give me all these entitlements because slaves had entitlements at least as long as the master was doing well there were some nice masters out there and there there were guys who when they were afraid they wouldn't leave their master they stayed there and kept working and taking care even when when the whole nation was you know the south was devastated by like you know Sherman's march to the sea and stuff where he just burned and burned and destroyed and destroyed a lot of slaves stayed with their masters. Because their masters... I mean, most slaves... This was a statistic that I was shocked at. Most slaves during the height of slavery in America ate at the table of their masters. They ate of the a common pot. Wow. Because most people just, you know, like had one slave. And they had one table. <laughs> They had one pot, and they were working together to survive. And now there's always abuses, and I don't advocate slavery, but you have to realize that you're all back in the slavery of Egypt again. See, because the slavery back in Egypt, they weren't going out capturing people. They made a deal. One fifth of my labor belongs to you. Of course, now, I want you to fill up granaries at the temple, because religion was how you took care of the needy of society. So they had granaries at the temple in Egypt, and if people went hungry, if the crops failed, if the Nile didn't overflow, and we were going to find ourselves short of food, we could depend on grain. And that's why they still had the temple granaries. Because everybody knew religion was how you took care of the needy of society. They don't anymore. But they used to know that. It's still written in the book. But, you know, who cares about what Jesus said? Who cares about what James says? Who cares about what Paul says? If it, if it contradicts what I want to believe. My strong delusion. I really love my strong delusion. So do you have ears to hear and the cries of anguish 
when your your brother is in a pit because that's how you got that's how Reuben and Israel and all their households went into bondage. They wouldn't hear the cries of their brother and they sold them into slavery and they went into slavery. And that's why you're in the bondage because you didn't care about all those widows who lost their homes to taxes. And I, I know many who lost their homes to taxes. All those orphans who lost uh, large portions of what their father had accumulated to inheritance tax because you guys were all coveting the rich guys. Now, there's some rich guys who can afford the inheritance tax, but an awful lot of poor people lost their homes, lost their businesses. I know a business right now. I can I can see it from my other window. That if, and he's having health problems. If the owner of the business dies, his children will lose all that and probably end up with a liability. Because he, and, and he advocates inheritance tax. He thinks it's a good thing. He's a socialist. But he doesn't see, because he doesn't see that socialism is the song of fools. And, and it produces the sacrifice of fools. And it takes away the right of choice from the individual. It is the antithesis of owning the means of production because you own it collectively. And 51% of the people own more than you do. So if they want benefits, if they're impatient for benefits, you lose. But because he doesn't see that, the the evilness of socialism and he has consented to socialism because he's greedy for gain because he doesn't see the truth he doesn't see the truth about the other things and he's ill prepared you can't hardly get him to prepare and and his family's going to lose out but this idea of listening to other people and their needs. That was essential in America, in the communities. All the social welfare in America was taken care of by charity. All the social welfare for Christians has always been taken care of by charity. Which is why Lady Godiva is on the cover of the Free Church Report. Because she knew that you had to take care of the needy through charity. You could not do it through taxation. She knew that legal charity would destroy the people and destroy the church because the guys who would be in the church now wouldn't have to listen to the anguish of their brothers. They would just, we'll just pray for you because we don't have to actually provide social welfare like the early church did. Amazing. The Song of Fools is not the song of Moses and not the song of the Lamb. So, in verse 7, hard times make strong men, but legal charity will degenerate the masses. I have links on the page so you can go look and and, and see why legal charity, when, when you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, you will degenerate. 
and institute the rule of force and violence in your community and become perfect savages, finding once more a monarch and a king and a tyrant, like they did in Canada. Like I heard people talking the other day, like we wouldn't have thought this would have happened in Canada. That they'd be closing down accounts just because somebody donated $20 to the truckers to help them out. They shut down their bank account so they couldn't take any money out of their bank account. That oppression makes the wise man mad. And what that means is it turns them into perfect savages. And a gift destroyeth the heart. What it does is it makes men perfect savages and tyrants. And of course, that's that's why the Egyptians all sat back when they saw the Pharaoh oppressing the Israelites. That's okay. We're getting our benefits. But it's also why the Egyptians were getting weaker and weaker than the Israelites. They weren't having as many children. While the Israelites were under the threat, you know, if they have too many children, they get more taxes. That's that's the craft of state that they used to oppress them. Because they wanted to decrease their numbers, but they, the more you oppress them, the more children they have. Anybody, who you know, any sh- good shepherd knows that. Because if you hunt the coyotes, you get airplanes, helicopters out to hunt the coyotes the number of the litters all go up. <laughs> that happens all the time. They couldn't believe that. They used to have like, when the coyotes were everywhere, they had like three, four pups in a litter. That was it. As soon as they started hunting them from air, start having seven, eight in a litter. What on earth? Nature finds a way. You need to find the way of God or you're going to become a perfect savage too. And that's what you're seeing out there, the liberal left and, and, and where they're biting one another and and destroying, you know, the yell for women's rights and then take all the rights away from women by letting men compete against them in sports, etc. No, you, you're you're on the road to destruction, my friend. So let's go ahead and read nine. Be not hasty in spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. So. Hasty in thy spirit to be angry. You know, we can go read Matthew 5.22, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, which is from a Hebrew word that they didn't translate, uh, that's actually from another Hebrew word that means rake or anger, uh, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. What, what's the fool? The fool is the one who desires benefit at the expense of his neighbor, who, who engages in covetous practices. So, this reference to anger is the same, you know, you're supposed to, your gift is not enough. If you still have this anger, you're destructive to the purposes of your gift and you'll end up in the bosom of fools. 
Number 10, say not thou what is the cause that the former days were better than these, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. And of course, we've been talking about that. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. Okay, so now that gets a little bit more complicated, it seems like, but now if we keep the symbolism... Why are things not as good as they were? Uh, inquire wisely concerning this. So we have to look at what wisdom is in order to inquire wisely. And we'll do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break. So come right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So... This idea of being angry. And now, some of you might be angry at the fact that you are now finding out that you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You're back in the bondage of Egypt because your priests and pastors have been teaching you the way of Balaam and the way of the Nicolaitan, where you were coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority which is idolatry, and so that most of Christianity today is composed of people who are idolaters, and that may make you angry. That To even hear that, that may make you angry. But the reality is, is that that's... Jesus made a lot of people angry, because he was telling them the same thing, and they actually understood him when he said, call no man on earth father. Everybody knew. Well, wait a minute. We get our benefits from the fathers in Rome. I, I wrote in the book and show you in several articles that that the, many of the Jews loved Caesar because that Caesar made rules about free bread and, and, and delivered huge shipments of grain in these harbors that he built. He was he was great for business. And that that if the free bread giveaway was on a Jewish holiday. They could come on another day. He made an actual law that they could do that. And they thought, great. But Christ said, don't go get that bread at all. because." And Paul said the same thing. And Peter said the same thing. Because that's covetous. Because Caesar exercised authority in order to set those tables full of those free bread and dainties of rulers. Which is no different than Proverbs said that Psalm said with David that 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 Ecclesiastes says that Jeremiah says that all the minor prophets said that you weren't to be grieved for this gain. You weren't desire desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor. You're supposed to love your neighbor. So when they talk about why are things not as good as they were. Inquire wisely concerning this. Every problem we have today in America is the result of 50 to 100 years of legal charity. It has it, it demoralized the church. People say, oh, we have to believe in Jesus not what he said, just in the word Jesus. That's a false Christ. Because it's, it's, it's not who he is. Some people say, well, we have to say Yeshua. 
And then we will believe in Yeshua. But they still are not sitting down and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They're still either being foolish virgins, running around, not giving to anybody. They're not even, they're not even friendly with the unrighteous mammon. Again, Corbin was in the treasury. That's why Corbin is translated treasury. Mammon is entrusted wealth. The Corbin of the Pharisees were entrusted to the treasury. And the treasury was being pilfered. We know that because we, we went and excavated th- these ancient sites and we found out that the high priests were living in more opulent quarters than the king. That's not what you want. You don't want priests living higher on the hog while you have to go to men who exercise authority which compromises your liberty because he doesn't give anything away for free. This is why you're back in the bondage of Egypt. But you're back in the bondage of Egypt because you, you know, there were people back then in the beginning of FDR and LBJ that knew this is not the right way to go. There are people today that are saying, don't depend on government. Don't look to the government. And there are people know not to do that. But they can't be foolish virgins. They, they can't just accumulate their wealth and their hideout and their cabin full of beans and freeze-dried foods. They can't just accumulate that for themselves. They have to lay down their life for their fellow man. That's Christ. That's the name of Christ. That's the way of Christ. And you want to do it in an efficient way, so why don't you do it in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded his disciples who would become the priests and pastors of the early church to require that the people sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now he goes on in verse 11 and 12 and talks about wisdom as a defense. You know, uh, wisdom is good in verse 11 with an inheritance and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. So this guy, he owns his own business, he owns his own house and he has profited and he wants to pass it on to his kids, but his kids don't want it. But he doesn't have any idea of the ramifications if he dies. And with that business, because they're not coming back to run it. And if it closes down for two weeks, he will never be able to open it up again because of all the regulations that I come play. He can't, can't see that. He can't see that. Because he's a socialist. And when you live in darkness, there's a lot of things you can't see. And you won't see. Like all those people in San Francisco. I can smell earthquake on the horizon. (laughs) And it won't be like the 1906 earthquake. It will be much different. Verse 12. The wisdom is a defense and money is a defense. But the Excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. 
Now the rich man who gathers all his wealth and builds his big barn in that parable of Jesus where he builds a big barn. Wisdom that that it, it destroyed. It was destructive because it wasn't an excellent knowledge. Verse 13, he goes on to say, Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? See, in in Jeremiah, he's talking about all the, all the things they're doing wrong. False religion. Uh, the Arabalum. The Arabel. The, 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 the priests and, and pastors follow this other way. You don't even want to go get their benefits. He was to not have a wife. That's what they say. He was not to have a wife. It be this long. Now, he maybe didn't have a wife. I don't know. But what he was not to have is that woman whose heart is a snare and a trap. That's the church that says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. To oppress your neighbor so that you can have stuff for free. That's the crooked way. How do you make the straight way? You actually do what Jesus said. Verse 14, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one over against the other, to the end that the man should find nothing after him. That we might have to look at the Hebrew in that to get that, but I want to keep going here. So we're going to read 15. All things that I seen in the days of my vanity, there is a just man that perish in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. So what, what does that mean? It's, it's rain on the just and unjust. That that's what it means. For he not be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish, why should thou die before thy time? So this wicked and foolish, these are actually different words. And, uh, you know, if we, we go back up there that, that, to this idea that wisdom giveth life. And, uh, we can look at John 3 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. Because he is born of God. But the fact is people are sinning. And so what is, why are they sinning? What is going on that they would be sinning? Maybe they're not really born again. You know, that's the thing. Is so many people, this is one of those dangerous things. That so many people think that they're born again, but they're not actually born again. They're 
still living in darkness. Because if you read a little bit farther, just a couple verses, after it talks about being born again, it says that if you're still doing these iniquitous things, you're not born again. You're not... Uh, you're not of God. That's how you know. You know, in the same way with your pure religion. Pure religion unspotted by the world is a pure religion that is entirely by social, uh, social welfare through charity. If you're not doing it, so what's going on? You know, so in verse 13, we can make the works of God straight, equalize, or crooked, meaning perverted. See, the liberal wants to equalize everything. Equity calls it. You know, that uh, no matter what you do, you're still going to get the same amount. And he thinks that's a good idea. But it actually means that you're, you're going to end up with less and less and less if you go that route. So in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. So hard times make strong men. So what if you have nothing but good times? How do you keep your children from becoming weak? Sacrifice. Religiously choose to sacrifice in good times. Because it's that. You're going to sacrifice in hard times. To stay alive. But you actually challenge yourself in the good times. So the rich man can't just accumulate wealth for himself. You know, like somebody was accusing me of saying that I was telling people not to collect Social Security. I'm saying that there's no way to collect, same as Thomas Sowell, no way to collect Social Security without asking men who exercise authority to take away from your neighbor. Because what you put in there isn't there anymore. I'm just saying what is, what's going on, what's what's actually happening. So, but I don't want to see you starve, so if you have to take Social Security, I guess you have to take Social Security. But do you have to take it all? You know, everybody says, well, I, I can just barely get by. No, almost everybody who's just barely getting by could get by with less. Now, eventually, you're going to have to get by with less. Which is why I'm fasting. You know, not, not to, yeah, I'm fasting because God put it on my heart to fast. And, and that's what you may need to do too. Because too much makes you weak. And, and fasting can make you stronger. And it actually is built in biologically. If you fast, intermittent fasting, it, it kickstarts your, your immune system, it kickstarts your, your body, people who fast regularly, live longer, um, depending on, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do that. But fast from anger. Fast from covetousness. Fast from pride. Fast from vanities. That's what you have to do. So, he says, be not righteous over much. But share. He's talking about sharing. He's talking about a, a, a uh, be not over much wicked. Neither be thou foolish. Why shouldst thou die before thy time? Over wicked? 
over foolish. Do you know people on welfare don't live as long as people who work? (laughs) Because, you know, if you look at what most people on welfare are eating, terrible, terrible. They're destroying themselves. Uh, People who have uh, Medicare, Medicaid, they're always going to doctors, getting surgeries. It's destroying them. It's eating them away from the inside. Uh, are there solutions? You know, I mean, there was, I, I, there's all kinds of solutions. If I went by what doctors said, I would have had my gallbladder cut out years ago and said I did a gallbladder fast and cleanse. I haven't had any trouble with the gallbladder since, and that's been 20 years. There's a lot of things you can do to make yourself healthier. But you won't see those things if you're blinded by the covetous practices of idolatry. In verse 18, it is good that thou shouldst take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. So, I'm talking about living by faith, hope, and charity. That's a transition. And Israel had to start learning that transition when the plagues came while they were still in bondage. And then they came out together because they weren't going to the edge of the desert and just running for their own personal freedom. They weren't saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a virgin, I'm just gonna burn my oil and dance away and then at the end, of their life, they say, oh, well, I would like to uh, join with you guys uh, in this faith, hope, and charity thing. I haven't been charitable for the last 10, 15 years that I've been listening to you on the radio, but now I need help, so I'm knocking on the door. Can you let me in and give me free stuff? Uh, I, I never saw fit to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and sacrifice religiously for the good of people I don't even know. But I, I did help people I did know, and I did nice things for people. So now, will you take care of me? Why should we? <laughs> Jesus wouldn't. Jesus locked the door and didn't let the foolish virgins in. Don't be a foolish virgin. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is a society living by faith, hope, and charity. Not only loving those that love them, but loving people they don't even know so that they cast their bread upon the waters in just nothing but hope that it might come back to them after many days. You see, this message is from one end to the other. Why do we get to Ecclesiastes 12? You're going to hear more things. I heard that before. Is that where that's at? 19. Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in this city. How many men was going to save Sodom and Gomorrah? If they had ten righteous men? Now, this is a question that I, I bring up in the side panel. I ask, you know, Wisdom strengthens the wise men more than ten mighty men. And I actually put the Hebrew in there. Because there's all kinds of extra letters uh, on those words. Like ten. Ten is not a big long word. But there's, you know, there's five letters in the word ten there. 
and there's uh, six letters in the word that they translate into mighty. So are these ten rulers? Because there is no resh in the word that they put there for uh, salatim, uh, for mighty men. Or is it righteous? Is he talking about the fact is if if San Francisco if ten men in San Francisco were to repent and actually seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, San Francisco might be spared. <laughs> but chances are doesn't it doesn't look real good for that. <laughs> so, anyway, so the wisdom strengthens these ten men are are in the city. This is what we need. So you need to you need to start coming together because God is going to make provisions for those who actually make provisions for others. That's what he did with the Israelites. They they took care of one another during the plagues. They helped one another during the plagues. They certainly helped one another get down that wadi. All those people, old people, young people, they were carrying people on litters. Babies being born. They had They had to help with that. They said, well, I can't help you with your stuff because I got all my stuff I got to carry. No, no, everybody helped. And the rich had to help out. You know, the rich guy who had a bunch of cattle, he says, well, no, they can eat of my cattle. They were learning to share. They weren't just doing it for their profit. They were putting the heart back into capitalism. 20, for there is not just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Because we're all sinners. That's what they're saying here. We've heard that. All are sinners. Even John the Baptist was, he was, there is nobody else that was better, but he's not as good as those in the kingdom. Because those in the kingdom are born again. And, and I'm not, in the kingdom. I'm seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But I I don't I'm not the gatekeeper. But you gotta open your hearts. That's the gate you need to open up. And you need to let the Egyptian oppression out of your heart and let the love of Christ into your heart. And if you do that you're going to want to come together. You're going to want to take care of somebody else. You're not going to judge them and say, well, they should have done this. I'm not helping them. You're going to let God speak to you in the stillness of your own heart. And you're going to help people that God puts before you. And you say, well, until I find somebody better to help, I'm helping this guy. And you got to come together to do it and work in one accord if you ever want to be in an order. You can't be just wandering around doing your own thing and then expect, oh, now I want to be in the order and now I want to get into Basra and now I want to get into the wedding feast. Uh, I've been doing my own thing, but now I want to, but now I'm old. I want, I want, I want to be with you guys. Don't count on it. Don't count on it. Don't be a foolish virgin. 21, also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. Now, I've got a torn on this particular verse. Because do we take no heed to all the words that are spoken? Or do we take heed to all the words that are spoken? Well, we're supposed to take heed to the Holy Spirit. 
We can hear the words that are spoken. But some of the most important words that are spoken, nobody tells you. They don't, they don't say it in your ears. But you can go, like the person reading the Bible, every year you've read the Bible over and over again. He still doesn't understand what we've been talking about today. Verse 22, For oftentimes also thine heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. So now these two verses come together. So, Actually, three verses, 20, 21, 22. How do you get sin forgiven? Believe in Jesus? Well, what did Jesus say about forgiveness of sin? If you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. You have, so yeah, when you go out to help people, sometimes you have to help people that are cursing you. Sometimes. You don't always. How will you know? Who can make the crooked way straight? What did we talk about at the very beginning of the show? The divine spark. That divine spark. That's not you. You're not going to be able to figure it out. Don't be eating of the tree of knowledge and think you're going to figure it out. You want to draw near God and here get that gap correct. How do you draw near God? Sacrifice. Loving one another. Giving up your day so that somebody else can be blessed. You want to be blessed? Bless others. So, we only got down here to verse 23. But, we're almost through it. And then we'll start the next chapter. But, uh, until then, join us on the network. Peace on your house. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.